This is Psalm 46. Uh, we'll have the words up here for you. If you want to grab a Bible under your pew, uh, we're going to be on uh, page 471. So Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Precious words. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. Verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. Sounds like Psalm 2, right? The nations rage. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob, or Israel, is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns his chari the chariots with fire. Now, verse 10, the Lord himself speaks over the rack of war. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And again, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. You may be seated. Sorry, Martin Luther wrote, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, and I just happened to make my son's middle name Luther. It was just weird. <laughs> just such, such a bizarre thing. Um, so this psalm is wonderful, and the, the only context we have, we don't know who wrote it, uh, we don't know the context, but the clear context is that Jerusalem up on Mount Zion is under siege. Under siege. So there's nations, kingdoms surrounding Israel, attacking Israel, like, and it's compared to the sea raging and, and foaming, the army of the nations. And the, if this psalm has a main point, it's very simple. It's repeated multiple times throughout the psalm. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. We don't, we don't got to get cute with it. That's the main point, okay? And it's repeated verbatim 7 and 11, which says that the God of Jacob is our fortress, right? The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So this is a psalm for scary times. This is a psalm for troubled times, times of trouble. And it has a very simple point. We can flee to God for safety. He's our refuge. And he will help. He will actively help. We can flee to God for safety and he will help. So simple point, God's our refuge and our strength. He's helpful. And so the proper response is also very simple. We will not fear. Therefore, we will not fear. What will we not do? Say it with me. We will not fear. What will we not do, VCC? We will not fear. Good. So the main point, when we're in trouble, we ought to look for God to help. We want to fight. We want to flee. But we can be still. 
And we can know that God is with us and that he will win the battle. We can be still. We can trust. And the proper response is to not fear. This is the most repeated command of the Bible. Do not fear. So we're done. Sermon over, right? Has your spouse, when you're like anxious, ever been like, just relax? Is that helpful? (laughs) No, it's not helpful. It's not. Right? Just relax, you know? So do not fear. That is the proper response, but it raises some additional questions. Some of those questions like, why will we not fear? When will we not fear? How can we not fear? And that's where we're going to get real specific this morning. Look, what does that actually mean? Do not fear can be kind of a slogan. It can just be rhetoric. Just relax. Be calm so I can be calm, okay? Do not fear. What does that actually mean in practice? And so what will we do? What will we do in the face of fear? When fear assails. We're going to work our way through those questions this morning. But first, sandcastles, okay? Sandcastles. I had the privilege of speaking at our middle school camp uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, Some of you heard stories about that last week. Um, I was pooped on by a bird publicly, okay, if you missed last week. And now all our middle schoolers call me pastor of poop. So, (laughs) good times. Uh, On the, like, literally middle of the sermon. It was unbelievable. So, uh, on the last day, we went and spent the day at the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk in the warm California sun, and it was wonderful, and many of the kids do what kids do at the beach. They build sandcastles. In fact, we had a uh, sandcastle-making competition. Here's the best one, which really is not that great, so uh, <laughs> it's, it's just, it's fine. Kind of almost looks like a ziggurat, a babble thing, now that I look at it, right? Anyway, uh, so it's not great. Uh, so have, uh, have you built a sand castle before, right? Hopefully. If not, you live in California. Take a day off. Go to the beach, okay? Build a sand castle. Um, and how do you build a sand castle? Do you need dry sand or damp sand? Damp sand, yeah. You need a little, not too wet, but you need wet sand. Where do you build a sand castle? Well, unless you want to be lugging you know, buckets of water really far up the beach, you're going to build it kind of close to the ocean. What's the problem? (laughs) What eventually happens every time you build a sandcastle? Yeah, the tide starts to come in, right? And have you ever tried to save your castle? You know, it does not, it doesn't work. You know, it doesn't matter how deep of a moat that you dig or, you know, you build walls. If it's made of sand, you're not going to win that battle, right? It's going to be history very, very soon, or even before the tide, some snot-nosed kid's going to come over when you're not looking and kick it over, right? Uh, So it doesn't matter how big, how elaborate your castle is, the tide is coming in. Time is not on your side. And it turns out that sandcastles are just about a perfect image for our psalm today, a picture of mighty Jerusalem up on Mount Zion, under siege, under siege. Because it turns out the most terrible discovery that the people of God, Israel, ever make is that their impenetrable, impregnable, indestructible, mighty fortress is made of sand. It's made of sand. Everything that was most dear to them was made of sand. This is not a psalm about how to keep your castle standing, 
right? How to dig moats and build walls. That's not what this sermon is going to be about this morning. This is about how to not fear even when you know the tide is coming in. When you know time is not on your side. How to even then know that God will have the victory. So verses 1 through 3, why we will not fear and when we do not fear. Uh, We're not going to spend a lot of time on why because we already said it and it's very, very simple. We will not fear because who is on our side? God. Who is our refuge? God. Who is helping us? God, right? He's committed to helping us. That's why we will not fear, right? The Israelites would have looked out from the castle walls and they would have seen this is Assyria out there. This is Babylon out there, right? This is Egypt out there on the plains. This is Rome out there. That's terrifying. With the eyes of flesh, yes, there is every reason to throw up the white flag and surrender. Logic demands it. It's a matter of time. They're going to win. But we will not fear. Why? Because the Lord of hosts, what does that mean? The Lord of heaven's armies is on our side. The Lord of heaven's armies is our refuge and strength. You know, we could shift the metaphor. I will not fear economic recession because Warren Buffett is my husband, (laughs) right? Like, it's a silly metaphor, but you know what I mean? Like, you know the person who knows and is in charge, in a sense, right? So we won't spend a lot of time on why it's straightforward, but then we get to the when. We will not fear because God is with us, though, verse 2, though the earth gives way. Whoa. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the seas roaring and foaming and swelling with such ferocity that the mountains themselves tremble and shake. The when here is when the unthinkable happens, when the unsinkable sinks. In the biblical imagination, what is the most immovable, reliable, steadfast thing in creation? It's the earth. It's the earth. Uh, Ecclesiastes 1.4, a generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth is forever. And on the earth, where was the most secure, safe place? Where would you go when enemies were after you? You'd go to the mountains. That's where you would flee for refuge and safety. So the most immovable things are the earth and the mountains. And what's the most movable thing? The most chaotic, unpredictable, scary thing in all of creation to an Israelite. It's the ocean. You don't read many stories about boats going out on the ocean in Israel, do you? They did not like the ocean. It was scary. So in Psalm 46, here's the imagery. When the most movable moves and disappears into the most movable thing. The mountains go into the sea. Even then, we will not fear. What will we not do? We will not fear. Even when the most reliable thing, the very ground beneath your feet, gives way, even when the bottom falls out, 
when the safety net tears, when all is lost, what will we not do? We will not fear. That's the one thing we will not do. We've experienced some of this just in this century, haven't we? I was thinking about this, and it helped me to kind of separate the unthinkable into categories. First, we can start with the personally, personally unthinkable. The bottom can fall out personally. It can be through layoffs. It can be through deconstruction of faith. It can be through divorce. It can be through death. Uh, this year, we lost uh, Kristen Potter, who many of us knew as Kristen Ambrose. And my wife was very close with Kristen for most of her life. And Kristen was, you know, the faithful people in your life are fixtures. They're always there. And so Kristen was there when Brittany was a hormonal teenager. And Kristen was there as a bridesmaid when Brittany was married. Kristen was there at every baby shower. She was just always going to be there. And then all of a sudden, she wasn't. It was like a mountain moved into the heart of the sea. And so it had this sense, if you've lost someone close to you, it feels like a bad dream right? It doesn't feel real. Every time you see their picture, it's just, it takes a while. It takes a while to, to um, I'm looking at Nancy who lost Gary, and he was a mountain. He was a fixture in your life, and it probably felt not real, right, when you lost him. Even though you were prepared in that instance, it, it still feels unreal. The bottom can fall out locally, right? I think a, a good example of this is when, you know, a beloved coach or pastor, some mother figure, father figure, uh, falls into scandal. You can just feel like which way is up, right? Uh, the bottom can fall out, of course, nationally. I'm old enough to remember 9-11. We have a picture here by Robert Clark. My generation's Pearl Harbor, uh, but even closer to home. If you think about the U.S., we're positioned kind of like a fortress, right? We have oh, giant oceans on either side. And so before 9-11, Middle Eastern terrorism was the stuff of TV shows. Right? It didn't really feel like a threat, and then all of a sudden, it did. Right? And what's more stable and steadfast than a, than a skyline? And if you're a New Yorker, the skyline, just two towers were gone. Right? It's just which way is up? You know? It's shocking. It's shocking. The bottom can fall out, uh, maybe think of the 08 recession. I know several people in this church, they bought their forever home in 2006 or 2007, and then all of a sudden they were upside down, right? Which is a great image for the bottom falling out. You lost your home. The bottom can fall out internationally. I remember February of 2022 uh, seeing these pictures. This is in Ukraine uh, as Russia was invading, and I remember seeing like families huddled in the subway stations, and just it struck me in this different way, right? When it's when it's, atrocities are happening all the time, but the, the families in the subway stations just looked like San Francisco to me, right? It just, it looked, it was a Western nation having bombs dropped on it and being invaded. And it just rattled me in a different way looking at these pictures of families huddling in fear. The bottom can fall out globally. I think you know where I'm going with this one. <laughs> we are all survivors of a global pandemic. But what was so crazy about the pandemic is that it hit us, you know, not just globally, but because it was global, it hit us locally, it hit us personally. Every single one of us in this room has a story. So this is Spain, 
the next picture is a picture from Brazil of graves being buried in a hurry of lost lives. And we'll go to the next one. This is a church. Um, just think about what we call this room. The sanctuary, which means refuge. This is a place we can always go and connect with God, connect with one another. Churches actually boomed after 9-11. Right? People fled to sanctuaries. They fled to, the, to churches for meaning and comfort in that moment. And our refuge was closed. 50 years of meeting every Sunday, except I think once when there was a parade downtown and we joined it. You know, 50 years, and, and then boom. One week, all of a sudden, churches all over the world shutting their doors. And finally, we go back to our psalm. Uh, at least in our imaginations, we think about the bottom falling out cosmically, right? I remember as a, as a kid, the movies Armageddon and Deep Impact came out at like the same time. Just suddenly, it was like, you know, meteors could happen, you know, at any time. Let's make some movies about that. Uh, or so many, we have this rash of books right now of like every young adult novel is dystopian future for some reason, you know, always thinking about Armageddon. And we have our fears of, you know, global warming and like, and you know, superhero movies where the stakes just keep ratcheting up. You know, we're getting kind of bored in a way, because what comes after Endgame, you know? Like, what, how do we get the stakes any higher at this point? We just get kind of bored. I mean, we're on a literally spinning earth. The mountains are moving, you know? Tectonic plates are crashing together, you know? And it's like, so the immovable substance has moved the realms of science fiction and fantasy, you know? It's rings of power and infinity stones. So there's a, a, a word I would use to describe our time and most of the denizens of our time, inside and outside the church, it's insecure. We live in an insecure age. We can know some atrocity happening anywhere on earth at any time. And our natural answer to this question of how to not fear in an insecure age is to build a sandcastle. It's to build a sandcastle. We look for some steady mountain upon which we can build our rock. Maybe the mountain, we can call it marriage, you know? And we, we find a boy, and we hope he's the boy, you know? He's the one that we can call our rock, and he'll be our source of security and our source of strength. Or maybe it's the mountain called the stock market or the housing market, and so we find a house and we hope it's the house. We worry all the time about the housing market. We just can't help ourselves. We're always looking for a rock, always looking for a mountain. And sometimes it kind of works for a while, doesn't it? It kind of works for a little while, like where it's, a, it's sweet, you know, and it feels safe and secure. I'm in one of those seasons, I think. My kids are eight, five, and two, and they're healthy, uh, Brittany and I have been through a lot. We're, we're teaching marriage classes now, and it's just a joy. I love my job. And, you know, 8, 5, and 2, like, I'll take, you know, diapers and ear infections over, like, driving <laughs> and parties, you know. I'll take potty talk over puter puberty seven days. I said poop and puberty in this one sermon. Wow. Um, and, you know, the, it's like when life's sweet, you're just like, all right, can we just stop? 
<laughs> you know, like, can this chapter be the end of the book? Is that fine? You ever, you're watching the movie, and it's like the happy montage with the music, and you're like, something bad's gonna happen, <laughs> you know, like, let's just turn the movie off. This is the fun part where the romance is building, you know, I don't want the other thing to come, and of course, we know it's not an option, right? Zoom out, and that rock is a grain of sand in a sandcastle, and the tide is coming in, and that little mountain, whether it's marriage, whether it's the market, it will move into the heart of the sea. Ecclesiastes was right. Time and chance happened to us all. So how? How will we not fear? What does that even mean? When that which is most precious to us is threatened. The answer is in verse 4. How will we not fear? Well, there's a river. There is a river. Can you say it with me, VCC? There is a river. It's a river. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Now, at first, a river doesn't sound like very good news. You're like, I'm building a sandcastle here. I don't need a river, right? The water's the problem here. What do you mean there's, there's a river? Well, well, listen. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Like a mansion has many rooms, this river has many streams. Little, gentle streams that are good for keeping our sandcastles damp and strong for as long as is needed as we do our most important work that we do in life, which is build up a spiritual foundation, a true foundation which is spiritual. So let's chat about that. What does that mean? I was blown away in the music today. When castles crumble upon this rock, I will stand. I was like, oh, that's that's the sermon. Anyway, how to not fear. When the bottom falls out, when the unshakable shakes, when the unsinkable sinks, when your castle is crumbling, you need a foundation, not of flesh and blood, not of sand, not of earth, not even of cement. You need a spiritual foundation. We get mixed up on this. Because in the modern imagination, the spiritual is like wispy, vaporous, right? In the classical Christian tradition, read The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, if you haven't, the spiritual is in fact more solid, more real, more enduring than the natural. You need spiritual strength when the castle begins crumbling. Uh, Proverbs 18.4 says, a man's spirit will endure sickness, the way we watch Kristen's spirit endure melanoma. A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? You need spiritual strength for when that castle of yours begins to crumble. Where does spiritual strength come from? Where does spiritual strength come from? Well, it doesn't come from the mountains. Psalm 121, I I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Not from there. Not from there. It comes from the river. The river. Do you know there's a river that runs through the whole Bible? It's there in Genesis. It's there in Revelation. It's a recurring image of the presence of God. The river is the presence of God. So let's look again at our psalm. The city of God up here, Jerusalem, the shining temple, it's under siege. The mountains are around it like the sea raging and foaming. Why does a siege work? It's very effective. You know, you don't need to waste, you know, arms. You don't need to waste soldiers. You just wait them out. 
right? That's what makes a siege so effective. You run out of food. You run out of water inside the castle. But listen, Psalm 46 is saying there is a river. (laughs) But isn't Jerusalem at, at the top of the mountain? So where's this river coming from? It's coming from above. It's coming from above. As Jesus put it, we have food they don't know about. Right, you think you cut us off, but we are well hydrated. Right, we're, we're not building with dry sand in here. We got nothing but time. So the river, the presence of God, gives us strength. How? How? How does the presence of God give us spiritual strength exactly? Well, the other half of verse 4, there's a river whose streams make glad. By making us glad. The river, the presence of God, has streams that make glad the city of God. All right. Keep up with me here. Okay, the city of God, spiritually speaking, is us. It's the people of God. So the presence of God, the river, gives us spiritual strength. How? By making us glad. By cheering us up. You know that verse, the joy of the Lord is our strength? That's not just like a cute saying, okay? It's true. It's literal. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So the psalm tells us to selah here. I don't know, no one knows what selah means, so most read it as a, you know, when you see selah, slow down and think a little more about what you're reading, okay? What then does it actually mean not to fear? Well, it cannot mean that we don't experience the emotion that we call fear. Okay? Track with me there. It can't mean that. It can't mean we have no trauma in our life. It can't mean we have no triggers in our life. Do not fear can't mean we never get sweaty palms. We never get a racing heartbeat. Okay? Like a panic attack is not a mark of unfaithfulness. Right? It's dangerous to read it that way, actually, as many people do. Okay? Do not fear does not mean that you'll never experience the emotion called fear, or Jesus would be a bad example, by the way, or he wouldn't be the example for us to follow. So to not fear does not mean we never experience the emotion called fear. The mountain will tremble. You will tremble. But the good news is we're not accountable for our emotions. We're accountable for our decisions, okay? Feeling fear is not cowardice. It's not unfaithful. Um, Just real quick, I, I learned to distinguish this Uh, during COVID, being on the leadership team here having to make decisions, right? Some people feared the vaccine. Some people feared the virus. (laughs) Some people feared others not wearing a mask. Some people feared, what are masks doing to us, right? It was like fear was just in the air and saying, don't fear. That didn't help. Like you had to make decisions. You had to make decisions. You had to take responsibility to calm down yourself and just make a decision. There was going to be consequences, you know, like it or not. And I think for fear here, Jesus teaching on lust might be a helpful comparison. If you experience the emotion uh, we call attraction to another person, is that a sin? No, it's not. But if you take action, you even the action of indulging in lustful thoughts, you are in danger and will be held accountable for that. So listen, we can make a decision. We can choose to indulge in fear, and some of us do. We fix our attention on things. We watch things. We read things habitually that make us feel afraid. And it feels kind of good to nurse that anger and hatred of other people. And you will be held accountable for that. You will be. You might say it this way. Whoever fears 
a liberal, whoever fears a fundamentalist, whoever fears an agenda, whoever fears a bigot, whoever fears a terrorist, whoever fears a foreigner, has already committed idolatry in his heart. We fear something, and it ain't God. We need spiritual strength to stand in our time. We need spiritual strength to withstand the siege, to withstand the emotions of scary times, and not surrender to fear. How? There's a river. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. There is peace like a river. There is joy like a fountain. There really, really is. There really, really is. In the Bible, to be spiritually strong and to have a joyful heart are just about the same thing. Do you know that? To be spiritually strong and to have a happy heart are often the same thing. Have you ever thought about this? Happy people, joyful people are real tricky to tempt. They're really tricky to tempt because they're happy. <laughs> Gloomy, depressed people, very, very easy to tempt because they're looking for something to just make them happy for a moment. A heart that is light and warm from the promises of God they're going to stay on the path. A cold, heavy heart is liable to turn aside to any fire that promises some warmth for the moment. Let's get our hearts happy in God. So, how is it that God is a very present help in times of trouble? What does this text mean? When we feel under siege, when we feel insecure, when we feel fearful, almost always God helps by giving us spiritual strength, by making us happy and hard as we attend to his presence. Think about it through the lens of a parent. If your toddler is running into traffic, how are you going to help your toddler? You're going to rescue them, right? You're going to rescue them. And God has rescued us in his son, Jesus Christ. Well, hopefully that's a rare moment that your toddler's running in traffic. How are you usually going to help your kids? teaching them to be strong, right? Giving them strength. If you're always rescuing your children, especially your grown-up children, <laughs> they will become weak and insecure and make cowardly decisions. So when the mountain is trembling, when the bottom is falling out, when trouble brews, God wants to give us strength so that we will not be moved. Verse 5, she will not be moved by fear. Even though we will experience the emotion called fear, we can make decisions that are moved instead by faith. As we often sing, right, I won't be moved unless you move. So finally, finally, what will we do in the face of fear? We will not fear. What will we do? We will not fear. Why? Because the Lord is our helper. When? Even when the mountain moves into the heart of the sea, how? There's a river. There's a river. God makes us Happy. He gives us happy hearts by his presence. But even more specifically, what will we do? What will we do? How do we best practice the presence of God and warm our hearts? Well, verses 8 through 11. In these verses, the psalmist, like, broadens the horizon. Remember, we're in a siege here. Our unshakable fortress is shaking with bombs and shouts. We thought our fortress was impenetrable, but now there is holes. And it's fight or flight. And we're anxious in this moment. And the psalmist says, wait, behold. 
look, look. It's like the moment in The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings when everything gets darkest. It's like the absolute moment of hopelessness in both of those stories. Look up. The eagles are coming. The eagles are coming. This is this moment in the psalm. Look, behold, look beyond the walls of your little mountain. Look beyond the walls of your little world, your little earth. It says, God makes wars cease, makes wars stop to the end of the earth. Let's meditate on that. He makes wars stop to the end of the earth. War feels so real and terrifying, but war is by definition exhausting, isn't it? I mean, it exhausts lives, it exhausts resources that are finite. So even world wars eventually come to an end. They have to. Even the Cold War ended. Right? Even anxiety cannot last forever. Eventually, the Berlin Wall, which people thought would last forever, crumbled like a sandcastle. The war between Russia and Ukraine, it will end. It will come to an end. It has to. And think about it personally. Your battle with whatever, depression, anxiety, whatever spiritual battle you are fighting, has an expiration date. We need to be still and look and think about that. We need to think about that. Behold, peace is eternal. It's peace that is eternal. War, anxiety is a ripple. How can we know? Verse 10. God himself speaks now over the sounds of war. We look, now we should listen. God himself speaks and he says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. How do you come to know? Be still. How will peace and joy stream into your heart? Be still. This is my wife's favorite verse. Be still and know that I am God. The Lord himself stands up to speak in the middle of a raging, foaming, swelling sea. And what does he say? Be still. And the water goes as calm as glass. We know that story, right? So what will we not do? We will not fear. And what will we do when we feel fear? When fear assails internal fear, external, personal, global, what will we do? We will be still. We are under siege. We are in a spiritual war. Whether you know it or believe it doesn't change the fact. We are in a spiritual war. Our souls gravitate not towards stillness, but towards hurry and worry. As Carl Jung put it, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. We are in a war, but the enemy fears one thing above all else, and we just sung it. Sang it? Sang it. Sung it. We just sang a song about it. The enemy fears one thing above all else, and it is the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. A little word shall fell him, the mighty fortress. But if the enemy fears one thing from you, do you know what it is? The enemy fears one thing from you, it's your stillness. As long as we're busy building, renovating, remodeling our little sandcastle, the enemy's not worried. Especially as we age, if we are found hurrying around trying to dig moats and fortify walls, our enemy is content. He knows he has us. 
But when amidst all his raging, the castle goes quiet, the enemy trembles. Why? Because he knows what this psalm says is coming in the morning. God will help her when the morning dawns. Verse 5, as Joe said last week, the final victory is God's. And when we become still, we know. We know. Our stillness makes the enemy tremble. He's trying so hard to get us to surrender to fear. So when we instead surrender to him, when we surrender to God in the midst of the siege, when fear assails, by becoming still, the enemy trembles. When we stop, he knows who's moving. It's the one who rose and conquered death. It's the one who disarmed the devil of the only weapon he really had, Hebrews tells us, the fear of death. And so when we get still, he knows that God is coming to bring reinforcement, to bring refreshment, to fortify our walls and reassure our hearts that the ultimate victory is his. So what will we do in the face of fear? We will be still. And when I say still, I mean it literally, VCC, okay? I'm not being cute here, all right? <laughs> like, unhurried presence, we don't need to overcomplicate that. Most of the time, it's prioritizing time to be still. Absolutely still. This is what I learned by the grace of God when the bottom fell out of my faith. Basically, 2016 through 2019. It was a long, long siege. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I could not pray. And I remembered words from when I was like 13 years old at camp. In the stillness, you are there. And so I would basically just sit still. I have a specific chair in my office for stillness. That's what it's for. And when words crumbled away, like sandcastles, there was the river. There was the stream. There was still the presence of God. I would literally sit there, and I would encourage you to do the same. Sit there, sometimes saying the name of Jesus when my attention would wander, sometimes just sitting there and my, until my heart would grow strangely light and warm. I'd say, I don't get it, I don't understand, but I know you're with me. Be still and know there is a river. Friend, there are streams aplenty to make your heart glad today. There are streams aplenty. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one who is like a tree planted by streams of water. The stream moves, you stay put. How? Just be rooted. You're a tree. Be rooted. Be still. When you're facing fear, the first and best thing that you should do is nothing. <laughs> nothing. Stay put. Be still. Be where you are. We have all sorts of ways of moving. We don't have to physically move. So don't, don't post. <laughs> don't scroll. Don't stream. Don't door dash. Don't uproot and move to another state. All right? The river is here. There's a little stream that's here. God is in our midst. Be still. If you move anywhere in fear, move toward a wise friend and open up to them because the stream runs through their heart as well. Above all, be still. That's how you get spiritual strength. That's how you get that knowledge. That's how you get that power. That's how you get that joy. C.S. Lewis put it this way. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. 
If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. Or if you need a Bible verse, here's Isaiah 30, 15. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling. Don't be unwilling to be still. You have enough will to be still, don't you? You're like, I don't have the willpower. You have enough will to stop, <laughs> to just be still. You do have enough will. God hasn't asked for more than that, and he will give the power. You have enough willpower to be still. God's not there. God's here with us. If he moves you there, he will meet you there. If he moves you there by faith, he will meet you there. But right now, he's only accessible to you where you are. There. Here. So draw near to God by staying still, and he will draw near to you. Be still. When fear assails, castles crumble, mountains tremble, be still. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray and worship together. <clears throat> Father, thank you for your merciful um, presence here in our midst. We are, as your people, the city of God. And you dwell in our midst, and you will help us when the morning comes. Father, thank you for the way that you preserved this church through a pandemic, through a recession, through a terrorist attack, through so much, God, that you have preserved your church through 2,000 years. And when the enemy attacks, when the enemy lays siege, you don't ask us to run fast enough or fight hard enough. You simply ask that we would be still and that we would know and then you would guide. So we thank you, Jesus, and I pray that everyone in here this morning, Lord, would be moved by your spirit to prioritize a practice of stillness when feeling fear, to attend to your presence, and that you'd give them the confidence to go out with the gentleness, with the fruit of the spirit that comes from your presence. We thank you that we're called your people. It's only by grace. And we ask that you, your heart would be honored uh, and blessed by the remainder of our time in worship this morning. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who conquered, we pray. Amen. <laughs>